I can, yeah, I, I, uh, I will. How about I don't share the video because I can't separate the two. Oh, then I'll turn my video camera off then. Well, you, it's, I promise you, I won't share the video. Okay. That's all right. As long as you don't share it, I don't care. I just don't yeah. want, uh, I, I'll comb my hair and change my well, shirt. Look at, look at this, look at this, right? It's mutual assured destruction. Oh yeah. Well, no, I, I didn't think you were going to try to embarrass me. I mean, just to let you know, I, I, I thought it was audio. So I, I just finished, literally got off the, um, the rowing machine like 10 minutes ago. That's good. So what's your workout? Well, so my, my basic every day I do a hundred sit-ups and 50 push-ups every day. Wow. And then, uh, and then every other day I row or do some kind of, or go swimming at the club or, you know, I do something aerobic every other day. Right. So today was the, and I have a rowing machine. It's a really, I had the literally two minutes ago, I just paid the contractor. I had some gutters, gutter work done. He just left. So I was just finishing up with him and, you know, all this kind of nonsense. Yeah, that's great. I picked up oh, a trainer about six months ago, and it's one of the best things I've ever done. Well, I, I tell you, I had a good trainer when I was in the so – the problem is, is that um, – so a good trainer is where – I had this guy named Dar, Daru. He was great. I mean, he really – he. I was really doing really well. And then, of course, COVID hit, and that shut all that down. Right. And I've gotten in, and, and the first thing I did when COVID hit, I bought this – I mean, I, I rode in college. I, I got a rowing, my own rowing machine. That was the best thing I ever did. So I've been rowing, you know, continuously. And I feel like I feel really strong, actually. That's I good. Mean, uh, push up, sit ups, and rowing and it's, and then swimming. I mean, you know, I'm not going to, you know, that's pretty good for, I mean, you know, I'm going to be 68 in less than a month. In wow. fact, like, when I'm at the convention, my birthday's like, uh, is the 18th. So it's right after the convention, I'll be turning 68. So, you know, not so bad. Uh, that's awesome. You don't look a day over 65. <laughs> that's right. Luckily, my wife doesn't look a day over like 55. So oh, she's, she's beautiful. You pick, she you beautiful. pick good genetics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, she, her mother's still kicking along at 97 and still working and driving and living alone. It's crazy. It's not even normal. Yeah. Uh, everybody in my family that age is already long, you know, long in the dirt. Um, anyway, um, Two things before uh, we'll start in a second, but I, I'd like to do three things at the convention. If, and I'm, so one, I'll do the uh, sign we were talking about, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Event. That'll be cool. I'd like to have a Empire of the Sun and a Pacific War um, and maybe even a Pericles Teach, you know, session where, you know, people can sh show up and I'll get two guys, get a bunch of guys to play the game and um, I'll teach it and run it, you know. And then just leave me free on Sunday. So I could do that Friday and Saturday. So like I said, we're going to get in Thursday. We'll be, I, I, hopefully somebody will give me clear directions. Like we're having, I know that you have everybody coming to this deck somewhere, but is that for us or we're we going to do something separate or what's going on? Yeah, I, I think, um, so there's a couple of options. One is Walter was saying something and Gene, I didn't, I was confused. Yeah. I, yeah. And they, and they were being silly. So it's, so it's, it's hard to, track everything down here here's here's my plan first of all you know i just thought we would do a dutch treat big thing at, at the deck where you could get a beer or a kombucha if you like that stuff or um and then and then there's like eight restaurants or 10 restaurants to pick from and um so so that's that's kind of the 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 evening dinner thing um i'm now it's possible that we could also have everybody over to our house for maybe an hour before that Everything here is within a couple miles of each other, so they're very short drives. I guess the main thing for me is uh, I'd like to have. I'd love to eat with you and Jerry and you know Volko and Jill, et cetera, et cetera. good hey um so we're we're rolling i'm just gonna gonna keep talking um of course you you have to start it's your it's your podcast that's true i do have to start i have to come up with some interesting question good yeah you, and, you uh, know you were talking about pacific you're not gonna introduce me like oh by the way this guy is no, okay, no i've stopped doing that i've stopped doing that mark and, and the reason i stopped doing that is because it's obvious it it, it created such you know just overhead right for every yeah. podcast to produce and cut and music and and oh you mean oh I'd say he's like uh, so just say hi then let's go 
Yeah, yeah, we're rolling. We're it, it, it's 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 we're rolling right now, and um, and and of course nobody needs to, any interest. You know, Mark Herman. Who needs to introduce Mark Herman? Um, in the wider so, world, I would need an introduction, but in this crowd that's going to listen to this podcast, you're probably yeah. In the in the twenty away. people that listen to this podcast, Mark, <laughs> you're you're uh, you're pretty well known, and I think you've been on this more than anybody else. You've been on my podcast probably five six times. Well, it just shows you that just like yourself, you just don't have enough friends. Yeah, well, that's why I had to. They had I had to mask this call as Volco. I said this is Volco calling, and he took he took <laughs> the call out of line. So I appreciate yeah. that. No, you know, we were you and I were just talking a little bit about Pacific War and how well received that was. Oh wait, um, I'm just going to Charles this door. It's Carol. Yeah, sure thing. She's very noisy. She's on the phone. Okay, Pacific yeah, no War. Yeah, so we were talking about Pacific War and how well received it was, and 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 um, you know, I think it seems like a lot of that was because people like me owned the game from the Victory Games days, right? And and so I knew what to expect. Um, I you know I think you added to it. There's no doubt, and and I love the mounted map boards. I can't carry the game, but I love the mounted map boards. But uh, well, maybe well, well, I think what's you know, this is an interesting. So when I did the original game. Probably one of the few clever things I ever did with maps and art was done in the original game is I realized, you know, after we had the made the two maps and the art was all, was all done, um, I realized that most of the scenarios, or at least a lot of a lot of the really good scenarios and, you know, took place around the Solomons, right? You know, there's a lot of fighting around the Solomons. Uh, you've got uh, three plus... Uh, the big, the famous naval battles of the whole Pacific War take place in that area. But the problem was with the maps, even with the mounted maps, is uh, New Caledonia is like, you know, three hexes off the edge of the A map. You know, like it doesn't, you need both maps just to get that base in there, and the New Hebrides are off the map. So I realized that at that time, east of Hawaii, where the Japanese and nobody's ever really going to go, um, I basically reproduced those, like, well, I guess it was four or five hex rows of map B on the far side of map B. And so all you had to do, remember, was map A, then you slid the other map over it so that you got that extra five hex rows. And that was, like, really worked out well. But now we get to the mounted maps. You can't do that with a mounted map. You see, you can't, you can slide it over, but it's going to have, you know, it's going to be like a, a ramp. And so... And because we, I had, and I, you know, again, I, I really do love working with GMT and, you know, Tony Curtis and Gene and, and Mark. And I said, look, what I'd like to do is, and I, I was going to have this weird map projection, you know, do, I was trying to come up with something. And then Mark just said, look, why don't I just give you a small mini map of that area unmounted? And Tony was willing, it was, you know, they were willing to give up the, uh, the profit margin to put it in the box. And so now you've got this. So when you say like, so what it is with Pacific War is that even though it weighs a, a ton, obviously it was you know what, 10, 11 counter sheets and uh, you know maps and all that kind. Of, if you get one counter tray, you set up the scenario or two that you want to take with you, and you put that in a counter tray, and you take that little map and you take a couple of other things, you could literally track it, it. You could put it in a knapsack, you know, just taking that. You don't have to take the whole game. Yeah. So that's what I really like. So, uh, you know, uh, I will, uh, I will likely, uh, I guess I'll have to get a cop. I'll, I'll talk to Gene to make sure he brings a copy of Pacific War. I'm not dragging that across the country on a plane. It'll, I'll, it'll, it, it'll, it'll put me over the 50 pound limit to get on the plane <laughs> or something. But, um, well, yeah, I've, so I've got one. Cool. I got one you can use when you get here, but it's, oh, yeah, if you bring un, but it's unpunched. <laughs> unpunched. Well, I'll, I'll solve that problem for you. <laughs> Yeah, I'll punch out Carl C. Well, if you'll clip them, then it's a deal. Well, I got to tell you, funny thing, I'm, I go to GMT East, and, you know, Andy Lewis, my old friend, is, you know, runs GMT East, and I get there with, and Pacific War had just come out, and I'm going to do, you know, I, I was doing teaching and demo sessions there. And, um, and uh, Lewis, Andy's got his set there, and he's clipping it, you know, like he's clipping his set of Pacific War while we're there. And, at the end, of, and, and all of a sudden he goes, I'll trade you. So he gives me his clip version for my punched out but unclipped version at wow. the show. Wow. I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't even have to give up my first board or anything. I just <laughs> That's awesome. So I have one clip copy of 
Pacific War, which I'm proud to say I didn't clip. <laughs> yes, yes, that's so good. How many how many games do you think you all printed at Victory Games? How many of those uh, of oh, no, Pacific uh, War? Pacific War sold like thirty three or thirty four thousand copies. Wow. Uh, between uh, 1985 and like 1987, it came out in 85. Yeah, so over those two years, it might have sold more. It, you know, remember when I left the company in 87, it was still in print, but the last number I ever saw for it was like around 34,000. Yeah. So here's, let me give you some math, right? Oh, and I, I, know, I know you didn't join me to do math, but here's my no, math. I'm good at math. Let's say you had 20,000 copies that are still in circulation, right? Mm -hmm. like, I would say that it was more than that because, you know, people lose them, but not that many. Okay. What, 25, 30,000? What do you think? I would say 30,000 copies are out there somewhere. Okay. So, and people like me that own the original, when you went ahead and published the GMT version, mm -hmm. I, I estimated they valued over 100 bucks. So 30,000 30, copies in circulation from the Victory Games days now are devalued in the secondary market by 100 bucks each. That's $3 million of market value that you destroyed by, pub by publishing this game. Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Let me, let me take it another direction, right? So if you're a collector, you want to have it, right? You know, you're a collector, you keep it. And a lot of the guys, that's what they do. Uh, the other part, though, is there ain't nothing wrong with the original game uh, in and of itself. I mean, it it was it was popular for a reason. Yes. You know, even in even in back in in the eighties, selling thirty four thousand copies of the game uh, was a lot. I mean, that was a good selling game back in those a board game, and especially a complex one like you know Victory Games and Pacific War. Um, the GMT version will never sell anywhere close to that. I mean, I think they published. I want to say that they printed. Nobody's ever, nobody's been clear on this from GMT, but it seems like somewhere between seven and seventy-five, seven thousand and seventy-five hundred copies were printed. That's the best I've been able to torture out of Gene and Tony. And they say that with sort of like a, I think kind of, you know, they're not telling me a definitive number because of that. They just don't know. You right. know, they, they could go figure it out if they wanted to, but they they're not. They don't give it. They don't care. Right. Um, and I know for a fact that we've sold close to six thousand already. So, wow. Know, uh, I don't think it'll ever get reprinted. So I think this is it. You know, so I won't be destroying any more market value. Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess I'd come back to the this way. If you get into the, um, I don't collect games. The collectors are collectors. Like you know, if you have a copy of the Victory Games unpunched copy, you own it. I have I have actually one still in the shrink copy, and it's. Right over there, actually. I can even bring it down and put it on. Well, you're not using the camera, but I have within 10 feet of me, there's a copy shrink wrap. If you open that shrink wrap, you will smell 1985 coming nice. out of the box. Nice. It's all been chromatically sealed since. And I know that it's a complete copy because in 1985, I took two copies. I opened them up. I um, made sure everything was there, you know, in case it was missing anything. And then I had them re I went over the complete strategy and Danny resealed them for me. And one of them got unsealed because I had to send uh, all the charts and tables to uh, Simonich so they could get made for the new version. And I never got the charts back. So I've got that copy is destroyed, but I have the counters. And so I've got one, you know, they'll bury me with it or something. I don't know. But that one, that's like that. I'll keep that one just for old time's sake. Yeah. I, you know, I think they're, they're collectors, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, people have all sorts of hobbies within hobbies. Right. So I've got no problem with that. But but then there's, you know, I don't collect because my expectation is at some point my collection will be willed to my wife who will dump it. Right. I, I you know, I don't I don't I don't keep I'm trying to reduce my the size of my collection continually for that reason. But but the uh, but, you know, I owned one that I purchased when I got back into the hobby six or eight years ago and uh, paid a ton for it. And now it's worth very little. So I stand by the three, the three billion, the three million dollars sure. of market value. I feel, value and I feel good destroyed. about that. I feel like I've done the world a service. <laughs> I, I reduced paper value that was not never of any real value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know I sold mine. It was it was punched. It wasn't beautiful, but I sold mine for I don't and know. It was, less like, than, 
whatever you pay for, did you feel like you got an experience out of it that was worth the money? I did. If the answer is yes, then yeah. who cares? No, I look, I'm not complaining, but I love talking about the amount of market value you need to destroy every time you reprint one of your games. Well, I will tell you, I, it was never my intention, as I've said before, to republish any of my games. And I've only done it based on, you know, it, Pacific War was an interesting experience just because of a bunch of, well, first off, you know, forget about the journey it, it, it took to get the GMT, the P500 there. I'd already done the work 11 years earlier when, uh, you know, Kurt Schilling uh, signed a contract with me to do it with MMP, which never happened, obviously, and then nuts and all the other shit, nonsense between. But once I got the GMT, uh, it was serious now because, you know, it made the P500 in a, in a few hours, actually. And it was during COVID, right? And so I spent two years, but I spent two years being the developer for a game done by this 31-year-old. 1985, I was 30, yeah, 31 year old. So I did, I basically spent two years developing a game that a 31 year old designer had done. Um, as so I was the developer of my, of my own game because I was only modifying it. Um, I didn't uh, redesign it, you know, it, was, it is the same design. I, I, and you know, now of course, the one thing I change everybody's, you know, uh, you know, there's a couple of, there's always a couple of guys that are convinced that. You know, I've gotten something wrong, and I, I'm convinced I haven't. But you know, that's that's neither here nor there. But you know, oh, you can play this, but you have to have house rules. Well, you know, the answer is, have you played it enough to know that that's true, and you're playing it solitaire? And you know, I don't really care. But my point is, is that um, you know, it is basically the same game, and it, and I think that the production value of what GMT did is just outstanding. And you know, and there's and there's a ton of game there. I mean, it's 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 crazy how much game is in there. Uh, you could play. In fact, if you were into the Pacific War and that's all you played for the rest of your life, you would never run out of game to play. Uh, so even so, whatever it cost, uh, I guess people got a good deal. If you got it pre pre ordered, it was like under eight. I think it was like seventy nine dollars. But the um, MSRP now is one twenty five. So that was a pretty good deal out of the box. Yeah, yeah literally. Man, that's, that's a great so God bless them for that. But uh, yeah, the game's out there, and uh, I'm real happy with it. I, in fact, I uh, I just did a teach and play on you know Fred Saval's uh, what do you call it, uh, Homo Ludens, whatever. Yes, that, yes. In some Latin or French term, but uh, yeah, that was, was fun to watch. Oh yeah, you saw it, yeah, with Ardwell. Uh, what's his name? Gary. I don't know. Yeah, Gary Mangle. Yeah. Oh, that's his last name, Mangle. Okay, I didn't even know his last name, but Gary, he's a nice guy. I like his. I like his. His podcast, I, I mean, well, stream, I don't care what you call it these days, video blog or whatever the heck it is. But uh, I like his, uh, he's one of the shows I, I, I periodically uh, tune into and watch. Yes. You know, usually not live, but uh, because that my schedule's nuts. But uh, yeah, but uh, no, I'm real happy with the way Pacific War came out. And and of course, all of the counters, you could play, You, could, you like I said, even if you never got um, uh, the the, the, the counter mistakes are such that, you know, it's like about a, a, a full, I guess a half of, half of a, um, a counter sheet to fix, but you don't need them to play. There's just, there's just no, you know, there's so many extra counters in that game that this doesn't matter, but they'll be published in this upcoming C3I. They've already been, in fact, they've already been printed. So, and of course, everybody goes, well, I have to buy something else to get a complete game. And they, you know, everybody gets all upset. And, uh, you know, talk about market value. And the answer is don't do it. You know, don't worry yeah. about it. You don't need it. You know, unless you're like an OCD thing, you know, if, you're, if it's a completeness <laughs> problem, then that's, yes. you know, that you need to talk to your therapist about. But if it's, right. if it's a, I can't play the game issue, that ain't the issue. The issue is that you just feel like, you know, whatever. But, uh, but that'll be done. And uh, yeah, I, I, stopped make, I stopped making the errata I was putting out a monthly errata and somewhere in the middle of the summer, I kind of ran out of new questions. Everything was done. Yeah. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we're, well, we're, I look forward to you punching and clipping my copy. So well, the clipping part is, you know, you're going to have to really, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to think about, you know, what draft choice you're giving up for that experience. Cause that ain't happening. <laughs> well, your lovely wife will be there. She can punch. T- she can punch right. and clip too. Yeah, right? When my wealthy wife is there, the word punch does not apply to counters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things about being, you know, I'm six one and weigh, you know, I weighed this morning uh, two thirteen this morning, which is about my normal weight, and she's like five one and down near like a hundred pounds. So anytime she wants to hit me, she does. Yeah. And, 
you know, and and that's fine. But you know, I never strike back, obviously. Of course, but, and you're appropriate. She knows how to punch. I want to say she does know how to punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife is. She we call it the chicken wing. She takes that elbow and grinds it into me. Oh, that's not nice. That's, no, that's, that's tough. a tough one. That's a tough one. That could hurt. You know, it's it's funny. Gina uh, uh, mentioned to me once that there's a that there's a group of of buyers that auto buy every P five hundred. Right? They have a setting yeah. Yeah. in their system, uh, just like and they're you know a subset of that auto buy every coin game, for example. So um, yeah. you know, so there are completionists in the world, right? Uh, well, I, but you, you, let's let's so look. Uh, I used to used to always joke that you know you you and I were you know reasonably successful in business, uh, and we're not complaining. And um, if you think about like a Tesla car, which is like my brother bought one, it's like hundred thousand dollars, right? I don't have a Tesla. I have a you know a, a, a very used Xfinity Ferrari, yeah, two thousand eight, and I haven't, which still only has thirty thousand miles on it. Um, but um, the point I'm going into is, if you've been reasonably successful as an adult, I don't mean horribly successful, just reasonably successful that you're comfortable. Games are like you couldn't ever even get to the price of a car. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. what he's if he's spending a hundred dollars. Let's say, how, how many do you think GNT puts out in a year? I know you love math. What do you think they put out? Uh, 10, 12, let's call it a dozen games a year. Oh, more than that. Yeah. Well, let's call it 20. I don't know. 20. Yeah. Okay. 20. And they're all, but let's just round them up to a hundred dollars because it's just an easier number. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is that? That's $2,000 a year. And Yeah. And buying every game that GMT puts out, two thousand dollars a year. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty cheap habit, right? And if you and now you do it for a decade, now you're up to twenty thousand dollars, right? Yeah. You haven't even bought a car yet. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> I mean, doubt. And that's a decade of entertainment, and you know. So, it, like I said, I could see it. You know, this yeah, way I don't. About it. I I don't think I don't think in the hobby we charge enough for games, and well, I, and I, and I, I don't. I mean, for everybody works for free, right? Uh, fundamentally, so I don't. I wouldn't mind spreading some money around to developers and artists. And I think it's getting better, but I don't think that um, you know it's like any business model, right? Like in other words, let's just look. Well, let's look at Ananda and Jason. I mean, they probably made and are still making real money from Twilight Struggle. I mean, they're, they're making you know they're, they, if you were to add up all the money they've gotten in royalties, it's like they had a best-selling book of some kind, right? Right. So, so the model of making money in this industry is just sell a, a lot of something, right? You're getting a royalty and just sell a lot. Um, if I had written a Harry Potter book, you know, I would be, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, that would be it, you know, translate into, you know, 30 languages and uh, the movie rights and the, you know, the shows and the, uh, and the merch and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, you retire uh, 10 times over, but, so it, the business model is fine. And I think people get paid based on, you know, this niche of a niche hobby, you know? So if you look at like the game business, the last time I looked at, which is now getting real old, the Hollywood used to be about 85 billion a year in the game business in writ large, including all the video stuff was 75 billion. And of the 75 billion, two-ish, maybe now up to 3 billion was board games. Yeah, You're talking about a $3 billion business. And we are such a subset of the 3 billion is that, you know, you know, we're not like that, that the 3 billion is the Essen crab, you know, the, you know, the big, you know, the, what do you, what, what's the big game in, in the worker, you know, like settles a Catan level, you know, game sales, that kind of stuff. So that's where the, and, and I think that if I recall in any given year, 10 games do like, you know, 70% of all sales of games. Sure. So, you know, when you start looking at like Pacific War or Empire of the Sun or, you know, Liberty or Death, um, you know, in those contexts, you know, we're like, you know, we're pimple on the butt of prosperity. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but in any industry where you've got a, 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 you know, I don't even want to call it a fringe, but, you know, this this tail group that that buys, you know, 5000 games or that are printed a year or something like that. Right. So forget Mark Herman, like a Harold Buchanan game would be 5,000 games. And, 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 you know, people would buy that over the course of a year or two years in an, in any other business, you would, you would increase that price to cover your people and your overhead. So those things would be a lot more expensive than they are. 
which means that but but ultimately you end up buying less games. I mean, at some point people have a budget, you know, they're going to say, yeah. You know, yeah, but, but, but as you just said, Mark, what if you bought every GMT game, it's 2000, you know, 2000 bucks. Well, again, as for a certain crowd, but at some point people are going to look at it and go, well, you know, this is not, you know, I, I had a theory a long time ago, but again, that's changed that if you buy a game, uh, I used to, it was really applying to video games, which were more expensive than board games at, you know, one time. And I said that if you bought a video game and you got an hour of uh, online play with the game, for every dollar you paid for it. So if you got a game, you paid it for, you know, 50 hours, you felt like you had gotten more than your money's worth. You know, that, that it's always the contentment factor, right? So for some, for some people, just buying the game is they're happy. They have it, they can touch it, they can look at it and they're happy. Um, I would say that there's probably a handful of games that I play more than once in the lifetime of owning the game. You know, most games I, I get them, I set them up once, I play through it just to see what's going on. I might even finish one game of it. Sometimes I only play it, I set it up and I play two turns and I'm going, okay, I get it. And I put it away and I'll never touch it again. You know, just there's just so much other stuff coming out. Um, so that's my experience with a lot of games. And of course, I'm always designing new games. Although right now I'm I, I'm finishing a bunch of games up and still always designing. Uh, but uh, I'm really starting to focus on my book. Uh, and the book is getting more of a, I just feel like working on that more than anything else right now. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your book, um, oh, but let me, let me finish my soliloquy on prices. Please go ahead. So the, you think that, you know, so if this is the war sold for 125, what do you think would have been your idea what the right price would have been? 250? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would have figured out what it, what it is to pay developers and, and artists and other things. I'm not worried about more money for Mark and Harold. I, I, I'm interested in, Making sure everybody else gets paid enough to 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 have a profession. Well, I, I guess it was the question. You're saying paid enough that this is their job, like a career that they don't have. Oh, to I, I think we would be the better for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that the uh, the so I worked. I, I so I'll tell you about a conversation I had, and this would be 1978, and I was having this conversation with a guy named Jim Dunnigan. And at that time, my salary at SPI was like, let's say it was making 12 grand a year was my salary, right around there. And that's in, of course, 1978 dollars. I'm not sure what that translates into today, but, you know, let's call it twice that. Let's, maybe it's like a $25,000, $30,000 salary yeah. in 78 in today's terms, maybe. You know, so not much better than like a grocery store. <laughs> yeah. and, <laughs> and I was with this uh, girl uh named carol and uh i wanted to um you know starting to think about getting married right you know this you mm -hmm. know you know i was starting you know we're getting serious and i said well how do i get you know i need more more income here if i'm going to go be a husband and uh, so i go to dunnigan and tell him i want to raise now dunnigan to his credit did two things the first thing he said was no and the <laughs> second thing though was he explained why no right and the explanation was satisfying in the sense that I understood why the no was legit. So in other words, at SPI, they had a, this is back in the day, right? So I remember I'm single, I'm living in a, an apartment, I'm eating, you know, cheap food and, you know, I can barely afford a date with Carol, you know, that kind of right. thing. And, um, and so let's say I'm doing an S and T game and I might get this number. Let's, and it would be given a budget. you know, like, it'll say like, this is a $2,000 budget. And every hour I worked on the game, I charged my hourly rate against the budget. And when I got to 2000, the game better be finished and in the art department. Okay. So now if you double my salary, I have to do the game in half the amount of time. Right. Because mm -hmm. just the math. there comes a point where there's no, so his business model was here's what I can afford to pay to have that game made. And then published so many, you know, he had a whole business, you know, Jim was very good at the whole supply chain of business model and all that stuff. And, and so giving me a raise didn't improve the situation for me or for the company because I couldn't, it comes a point where you can't do the game fast enough, right? You know, mm -hmm. unless I just, you know, you know, take, you know, you know, take the proverbial dial it in kind of thing. So there is no way to make a living wage beyond being a single starving artist in New York. So I, I was once in my life a starving artist, right? right. You know, 
did all that. Uh, and so what I then, my solution was I called a guy I had met through um, Jim who worked in the defense business down in uh, Washington. And they, believe it or not, they actually flew me down for an interview and gave me a job. And I, and I started working for them at $17,000, which was like, you know, from 12 to 17. Big jump. Big jump. And also uh, Virginia is a lot cheaper to live in than, than any place is cheaper than New York City, right? Yes. Where I live in Manhattan. And, and I got married and here we are and she's still here and she hasn't left me yet. So it's all working out well from a point of view. <laughs> so the point was is that even back in 1978, the living wage you could pay somebody required that you be a starving artist. Mm-hmm. You know, which means, you know, a single guy in Manhattan who's, you know, doesn't, doesn't dress real well and doesn't go out to cool clubs and high-end restaurants and live the life of Riley, you know, is was we could work but being a married guy and wanted to raise a family no chance and so when you look at the guys you know and any of the guys like you know look at uh jason carr good guy and uh uh barda with the guy who does did this up the coin bertolucci i think his last name wrong mike mike berticelli berticelli thank you i i apologize mike and i think it's berticelli but yes berticelli but either way i and you got Joel Topin and you got, you know, all great guys and you got Kai Jensen and, you know, and all that crowd um, paying them a living wage. If you're, you have kids is just not necessarily going to work given the business model. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, job. I, I, I hear you, but you know, the, the, the arguments about, you know, people won't buy stuff and that we're on the edge of the, you know, the marginal elasticity and, things yeah. will fall apart. I, I, those are extreme arguments. I think that, let, let me give you, let me give you another example. So yeah. bloody April, right. Published in 1980 by SPI. Oh yeah. You mean that Berg, was, Shiloh game. Yeah. The Berg Shiloh game, the big box, $27 yeah. at the time. Yeah. So the price for um, into the woods, which is the GMT Shiloh game. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is the, which is the follow-on, technically, of that GBA American? Yes, but it's the same ballpark. It's eleven hundred counters instead of twelve hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's two same maps, thing. same thing. Fifty-nine dollars. So is that the is that the MSRP or the pre-order price? I I'm not sure. I, I'd have to check. I it may be the it may be the the P five. Oh wait, price. but but that game has uh, unmounted maps. Yes. I don't know. I think they're mounted. Well, I can go downstairs. Well, I, yeah, we, I, I need to check. You're asking me questions I can't answer. But but certainly Bloody April was unmounted, right? So, so you know, if you look at that, it's like the, well, the price increases are minimal, right? Well, it's it's over so, 2% well, compounded. Well, let's just do a quick calculation. What would you say was the average inflation rate between 1980 and 2022 over all those years approximately. Well, you know, you're coming, you got stagflation in the early years there, right? So pretty high. That, you know, let me give you another bit of data. Well, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to, I'm going to support your argument. So if you use the rule of 72, right? Yeah. Then the value of the game should have doubled like after 10 years. So in other words, if you bought that game in 1990, it would be worth twice 27. Yeah, and you know, and so you're right. I mean, the game, if you're trying to do um, equivalent dollars, the game would probably be two hundred dollars at least by now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and all of that neglects the fact that the quality is much higher. The the counters, the printing, the maps themselves, oh, and, also, and also cheaper to make because you're not you're using computers and not all that hand labor that we used to use. Yeah, yeah. So. Laying down Bloody April, and I was there when it, you know, I was, uh, I was not around for Bloody April, but I was around for like, you know, um, you know, Atlantic Wall and Next War. Laying down that many counter sheets is literally, um, uh, you know, it's everything's done by hand. You know, there's a sheet and you got to get, you got to put the symbols down. You got to put the, you know, everything's got to go on by hand and cut into place and move by knife and a human being. There's no computers at all. That was done at $27 then for that many counter sheets. I'm telling right. you. Now, of course, everybody's making less, but now, you know, you just, you know, you can, the guys who, you know, the, 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 the you know, the masters of the universe with that, those, uh, you know, illustrator guys, you know, like, like Simonich, they knocked down, I mean, Simonich redid all the counters for Pacific War pretty much in three days. 
Right. Right. Three days. You know, he didn't like the, you know, the first version that came out of uh, France and he, and he did them in three days. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, and bowl game. yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm still behind this. We just don't charge enough for the games. And, and, um, and I think, you know, the other, I mean, we've got, let me, oh, okay. Consumer price index during those 42 years is 3% a year. So if so you use your 72 is, that's it. Should have doubled twice. Double twice. That's right. So it should have been 5,408. Yeah. And now it's 59. And, and yeah, I'm just, I just don't think that, that, and these are family businesses, right? These publishers, they're not, you know, they're not big uh, enterprises. Well, let's say that there are, you know, Gene makes his full living. You know, the, the guy, the publisher can make, you know, not the, the workers like us and the, uh, the developers and all that, but, you know, the, the core crew of GMT, I think that's their, that's all they do. I mean, that's their yeah, job. It's a, it's a lifestyle business, right? That's, that's the no, yeah, it's a lifestyle business. Lifestyle and, business. and by the way, Tony is older than I am by yeah. a little bit. I mean, so, you know, I think they're, they're probably grooming like uh, Luke or somebody to kind of come in and do that job at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I think Rachel and Luke are both heavily involved. So that's, oh, I yeah, think yeah. it's well, great. Oh, I think it's wonderful. You know, if I could have ever done something like that with my kids, but no, my kids are doing great. I have to give them credit, you know, well, they had a, they, they had a kid had cost me a dime after they got out of college. So I got <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you know, self-sufficient and alive is what you want after 25, right? That's our, that's what we're yeah. shooting for. Well, I, I, they even did it earlier, but I, I guess my thing was always, I told them, I said, look, you won't be an adult until you buy your own food buy your own gas and live in your, and pay your own rent. Then, then you're an adult until then you're not, I mean, I know you're old enough to be an adult, but you're not an adult because you're not self-sufficient. And they, and they both of them took that to heart and made themselves self-sufficient rather quickly. Yes. That's great. That's great. So, so my last point on this, on this price thing, right. I'm not, I'm not arguing for more money into the Mark Herman retirement fund or, you know, you know, Caribbean travel fund. But what, what I am arguing for is as a hobby, we're we are better off as consumers if we have really healthy machines that make games for us, right? I, I think that ultimately that is always going to be the, the determinant. You know, if you go back to when I was a kid, uh, remember uh, Monarch Avalon main business wasn't games. That was just a place to, you know, use extra press time. They used to only come out with one game a year. Yeah, you know, that was so. That's the ex- other extreme mo- end of the model, right? One extreme end is we pr- we just pump games out, you know, as fast as we can. We sell twelve hundred of them. We're done. We move on to the next game. We just keep giving, you know, it's like breath, no depth. Avalon Hill was, you know, this year we're doing D Day. You know, we're going to sell two hundred three hundred thousand copies of D Day, and then next year we'll have, you know, uh, maps, Africa Core, and you know whatever else. I don't remember the order of things, but you know, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, and that's how it used to be. And then SPI came along and they blew that model up with the S&T and multiple games a year. And, and that changed that model. Now we're at the point now is literally, I will say this, that while we've been talking over this hour, at least one game got published yeah. in the world. Yeah. Public two. I mean, yeah. they're, they're pumping this stuff up and it's entertainment. And most games, if you, in fact, you go on BGG anytime. And he's, you know, the guys who, just look at the guys who do Euro games. They're, they have a shelf of games they're trying to get rid of because most of those games, you buy them, they're fun, you play them two times, and you want to get rid of them because there's nothing there's nothing more to it. You know, it's, it's Well, you just said you play your your inventory one time. I'm not complaining, but, I would, but I'm also not <laughs> buying any games. You see, remember, I've GMT to their, you know, to their lasting uh, benevolence, sends me a copy of G, everything GMT does. Right. I might buy... Except for Flashpoint, by the way. Well, no, 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 no. What the no. heck was that? You didn't get a copy of Flashpoint. No, apparently a box. Apparently a box got lost, but I do there it is. <laughs> no, uh, apparently they were. Apparently one of the boxes that they shipped to me, like uh, there was like um, there was a couple of there was a couple of like a tri pack. There was a couple of games that came out with reprints plus yours, and I never got. I, there were like five things that I didn't get, which means that they were in a box that you know, went into the ether somewhere. Yes. And so I thought it was a conspiracy. And by the way, I, you know, I, I, I don't really believe in conspiracies too much. So I don't believe (laughs) in conspiracy. I, I think that people make up conspiracies because it, 
You know what's interesting about conspiracies? Um, I read an article, uh, just forget about, any, forget about the politics of it, but human beings absorb gossip more readily than any other form of communication. Because, you, know, you know, the women in, back in a million years ago, used to, everybody used to go to the water, you know, go to the well. And, they, you know, now we have the water cooler and, and people go to the market. And, and whatever's passing around the market, if somebody says, oh, did you hear? And the rumors that go around, that apparently the way the human brain is constructed, that stuff sticks. Mm-hmm. And the social media comes across as like a replacement for all of that. So you hear something on the internet, and unless you're very sophisticated, it's like, oh, I heard from so and so that you know, you know, there, you know, th- these horrible things are going on, whatever right. the hell it is. And and the reality is is that you know, just like gossip used to be, is some of it was true. Yes, you know, Mrs. Jones was sleeping with Mr. Smith, and you yeah. know, and you know, so and so was skimming <laughs> off the till or whatever it was, but you know. You know, so and so is a witch, and we should burn her. <laughs> it was coming around, right? But, but, but ultimately, that stuff's. But so gossip and the and social media is like sort of a simulation of gossip. Has is just a more powerful medium than like a newspaper, apparently. Right. You know, the, you know, where somebody actually writes something down, and a board of people who make them check their sources and actually spend some time, you know curating it and making sure it's correct as best right. as they can you know they make mistakes but as a rule you know 95 percent of what's in the newspaper of a real newspaper is, is accurate and they make small you know misstatements or overstatements you know everything but it's very rare when it's just total you know nonsense right uh, unless it's that kind of newspaper so you know like a tabloid or something you know where we're by the way um what you're getting there is, is that every, uh, apparently every stylist and driver in Hollywood um, has a, you know, has a 911, you know, has a 911 path into a tabloid. So I, I had someone, 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 someone in the back seat, and, you know, they were yelling at each other. They're probably getting divorced. And that's, you know, that shows up in a tabloid, you know, they give right. a call, they make, here's your hundred bucks for the tip. And, you know, they run a story, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, so, so, but that stuff, that's why that stuff sells like crazy because it's all based on g- gossip and rumor. Again, replacement for the the ward, you know, the the well, the town well. Yes. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I you know I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about South China Sea. I know you played it. Well, you played it a lot. And and well, I played it. With, I, I must confess. So what I've done is I, you know, it's a card game, and so I set it up and I ran through it once. But I'd love to play it with you in. Uh, SD Hiscon again with the final components. In fact, we should do it. We'll televise a, a match. There you go. There you go. Or maybe we'll do it on the internet when we get back. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the con's kind of a it. crazy time but, uh, for me. But I did, but I did sleeve all the cards. Uh, it's all good here, sign. Yeah, yeah. So I good sign. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I tell this story all the time about you and I sat down and played it once in the early prototype. It's pre-COVID years. Do you remember we used to meet in LA yeah. and play at that yeah, game yeah, that, store? Yeah, that nice store. Yeah, what was it called? Yes. Uh, or something or and and i i had a number of tracks on it and different things and i showed it to you and you and i played like a hand and 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 i gave you the run over the rules and then you said um you like gave me three points Mm -hmm. and uh one of them was get rid of this track make it incorporate into this do this 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 and it was and at the time i said man he doesn't get it he just doesn't get it and (laughs) And I went home and two days later, like, holy cow, he's right. <laughs> and I incorporated all those changes. And well, uh, I'm glad I added value to it. Uh, made it into a much is, better game. Well, you, you know what it is, is that um, I did this. It was kind of fun. So Fred did this thing where, you know, he has like, what do you call it? He called it the game jam or design jam or whatever. Game jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he talked me and Jason and at nice uh, Candace. Candace Harris, yeah. Very nice young lady uh, into being the judges for the thing. And and it was interesting, you know, how, uh, you know, and Candace knows her, you know, she's a very um, smart young lady and she's played a lot of games and she knows what she likes and doesn't like. So that's not the issue. But but it was amazing how quickly Jason and I would look at something and more or less go, you know, it's like, yeah. you, know, you know, just we were booming. You know, I, I played every, I went through and played and looked at every single uh, game very, and, and 
And it's funny, Jason and I actually didn't come out with well, – there was one game that all three of us had on our list of three. So that one, obviously – and that was the one ultimately that ended up winning, by the way. That was the uh, 1905 Russo-Japanese negotiation game. So all three of us from the beginning had that game on our, you know, three list. And then everybody else had a different other two. And so we had to have a session, and pretty quickly – we got down to the other two, you know, that we got there and, and we got to that answer. And then we, we, then we played and we decided the best way to judge them after that was we would play each of the games. And it was pretty clear, even from, you know, Jason and I would be like halfway through the first turn of one of the other games. And we'd be like, "Mm, okay, next. (laughs) It's like, yeah, but the two of you, I mean, you're, you're just, your experience in design is extraordinary, right? I mean, well, I've just been doing it a long time, you know? (laughs) Yes, you have. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something, uh, there's a book, it was about chess, by the way. The book was really about chess, um, you know, uh, it was about chess computers. I, I'm very, I've always been fascinated by this whole chess AI, you know, chess is, you know, in, what's interesting, you heard all this stuff about chess cheating, right? Yeah, I want to talk about that, yes. Yeah, so, but, but, but let me go, but what's interesting is, and so from the day of um, Deep Blue, which was the first time a computer beat, you know, Gary Kasparov in a, in a match, uh, and then subsequently AlphaGo, and you can go look at all these things. I'm fascinated by the you know AI like that. But what's happened in um, con- in those computer situations is earlier than that, you couldn't cheat that way because if somebody had a, a chess engine somewhere and you had like the world champion playing, he was so much better than the chess engine, it was a waste of your time, right? You, you know, it'd be like cheating. Like, hey, I'm playing chess against the world champion. Let me go ask an idiot how to beat him. <laughs> in chess Mm -hmm. are better than the engine right so uh and i used to play some of those engines i could beat them easily back even even i could beat them easily back in the day but then all of a sudden the chess engines got better than humans and then they got a lot better than humans so now all of a sudden there's somebody you can somebody being a person running a chess engine you could go to that would play better than the world champion Mm. so now cheating is possible (laughs) it wasn't possible before because who are you going to go get yeah yeah you know you know, you know, Bobby Fisher, you know, Bobby Fisher's not, when Bobby Fisher was playing a game when he was alive, even though he's, an, he's a crazy man, but he's a good chess player. I mean, there was nobody for him who could cheat against it because he was already better than any engine or anybody out there. So how do you cheat against Bobby Fisher? It would be a waste of your time. Right. Uh, but now you can do it. Uh, so that's really the big thing. So in war gaming, I would submit that um, there is no chess engine that could beat me in Empire of the Sun. I mean, they'd have to spend more money than, you know, the GDP of some small uh, country to get something that could do that. Um, so so the one thing you don't have in our gaming part of the hobby is there's no cheating because who would you go to? <laughs> That's yeah. not, you know, who, who do I have to worry about? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, there are other there are other there are different kinds of cheating. Right. That, that uh, but, you know. If if I'm playing with somebody that's going to cheat, I'm probably not going to play with them again. I... Right, but what would be the cheating is like they would uh, roll the die and you know and say, oh, it, you know, well, I mean, unless you're like, I I, I had a boss. Uh, in fact, it was the guy who gave me my. He's a good guy, by the way. And thank God he's he almost died from COVID twice, but he didn't. So he's a tough old bird. Uh, and uh, this guy's name is Phil, and he uh, loved this game, um, Panzer Krieg, which was done by John Prados. It's a really good. Um, southern part of uh you know fighting around Kharkov you know pretty much where the war is right now is what the game's about uh and it's you know von Manstein's uh battles and offensive down in southern Russia uh so yeah then Soviet Union and um and we used to play all the time and I would I I was a much better player than he was right so I beat him but one time we were sitting in a, a hotel room and we had been drinking and he he was like a night owl like he just didn't freaking sleep he was like I, I used to accuse him of sleeping upside down in a closet like a bat uh so we're now it's like two o'clock in the morning we i've been drinking and remember i'm at this point i'm just married so i'm just like i'm 24 years old and this guy's like 11 years old and so he's like 35 i'm 24 and it's you know wee hours of the morning we have to work tomorrow and i've been drinking whatever the hell i was drinking and i'm i pass out on the couch and we're playing panzer krieg in the hotel room he had gotten us a suite we had a nice big table i fall asleep i wake up around two hours later you know like i gotta go to bed and i look down and i'm surrounded <laughs> <laughs> like, and he goes 
Yeah, I, I redid the move. I finally figured out the right way to get this to happen. I said, oh, I'm sure you yes. did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how that, I don't know how that, uh, that German Panzer division leaped over the front lines behind me, but damn it, that's a good move. <laughs> Oops. The power dropping uh, Panzer. So anyway, the, the game, I don't give a shit. We never played the game. But clearly, um, uh, irregularities in the rules were observed during that month while I was unconscious. <laughs> they were modified temporarily. There were some modified rules used there <laughs> to a paradrop in a couple of tank divisions. <laughs> so one, of, one of my favorite stories about, and, and of course, it's not because he was cheating, but just because he thought somebody else was. Do you, you remember, Tre- you know Trevor Bender well, right? I do. I mean, I know Trevor. I, I wouldn't say I know him well, but I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, he's so he's a San Diego guy and, and, yeah, yeah. and spent a good deal of time with him. And he and said, by the way, he did what I did for a living. So I, we get, yes. you know, he, he would, in fact, I tried to get, they came to me because when somebody in Booz Allen found out that I was friends with Trevor, he goes, do you think you could steal him away? I said, well, I'll talk to him. So I tried to I tried to steal him from his company once, even on you know on official uh, orders from the top, that's but it awesome. didn't work. He he was better off where he was. But anyway, I tried to get that, him. That's to that's company. great to hear, and and just a high quality guy, right? So high quality guy. So, so he was at guy. WBC, and he was playing uh, against your buddy David Doctor. I guess they were playing. Uh, <laughs> For uh, probably who, for the people, right? Yeah, yeah. Trevor's a good Trevor, the people player. So, so Trevor said David got up to go to the restroom. When he came back, he made Trevor reshuffle the deck, which is hilarious. Oh, I, I didn't out, know out of fear, it. right? So it's not nobody's cheating, but there's fear. No, no, no. But just so you know, but David, uh, so so David, by the way, is one of my closest friends. Just to be, just so yeah, I, yeah. I, I set that up, and I I'm not accusing him of cheating. No, 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 no. I, I know you did, and I. Um, and, you know, and, and, and he's a, been a close friend for like, you know, 25 years. So he's, we're, we're close. I talk to him multiple times a week, a lot of times. We're even doing a game together, you know, the Ukraine game I'm doing, I'm doing it with him. Does Carol know about this? Well, about what? The relationship. I'm just, it's a oh, joke. Yeah, she, it's yeah, a joke. She loves Mark. Doc. She loves Doc. She, she, it's she a joke. Doc. Anyway, uh, so Doc has this thing with card games. He just loves freaking shuffling the deck all the time. And he'll, and he'll, and like, you know how, like, like if you and I were playing South uh, South China Sea, we did we shuffle the deck once, unless it was told to reshuffle it again, and we would leave it alone, and we and we would always go, you know, the Americans get the first card, you know, we would do it the same yeah. way every time. That's how I would do it. Yeah. Doc is like every time there's a new turn, he shuffles the deck, he deals out the cards, and says, which one do you want? Do you want this one or this one? And that's his thing, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> but it's not that he. What I'm trying to say is. That's how he plays card games. It's not that he didn't trust. Trevor's taking it like, oh, wow, he, didn't, he left and he didn't trust me. He Every turn of every game with a card that I ever played with Doc, he shuffles the deck, he deals out two hands, and, he's, and, he, and then he says, which one do you want? And he yeah. says, you know, probabilistically, and he's correct, it makes no difference. What I'm yeah. doing is the guy who built the deck in most cases is, you know, that ordering was like this reality that we created. The narrative was created by the ordering of the deck, and you're just reordering the narrative so much that it's now it really is, you know. <laughs> yeah, plus, you're doing it the way the rules say to do it, right? So Yeah, yeah, but that's his thing. Yeah. So that is a doc thing, and yeah, just no, used more, to it. Look, more power to him. Yeah, you just get used to it. Yeah. Uh, but another reason I don't like the that whole WBC competitive thing, but um, I know you do, so I'll shut up on that. No, Man, no, we've got I, we've got I, so I, many things to talk about. I I can't even you know we've got your your book, uh, and we've got um you you are you've just let out that you're working on a Ukraine game, uh, yeah. which I'd like they, to talk about. That's, that's gonna, well, they, we'll just make it simple. The the Ukraine. Uh, so what we're doing is so I'm calling it uh you well. David, it's David and I. If I say anything singular, it's David is, you know, it is a true, you know, what it is, is we took uh, my Flashpoint Golan uh, engine and, you know, and, Which modified is awesome. it for, and modified it for the situation. Uh, but what I'm calling it is, and what we're calling it is, it's the first draft of history. In other words, this is not a what if game. This is a history game. It just happens to be a history that is very recent. Yeah. So the first module covers the attack on Kiev. It covers it, you know, February through March, February, March, yeah, to April of 2022. You know, that, and we have, and David's done an outstanding job of pulling together the order of battle. He's even got every, like, division crest. You know, he, he's really done an incredible job. And I've focused my energy on the, the mechanics and the design and all that stuff. And it's also got a strategic map. 
uh, that he put most of the work into on how you, you know, so we're going to basically, so it's like, it's a little bit like Gulf Strike, you know, you've got the mini, you've got the operational map and you got the strategic map to handle all the big stuff. And then we're going to just going to follow, and if people like it, uh, we'll do like the Donbass offensive, then we'll do the current situation, but it'll be only like a year or two behind what actually happened. Mm. And when I was talking to the Army War College, I gave a, a talk to the Army War College staff, and they said to me, um, are you going to put tactical nuclear weapons in the game? And I said, only if they get used. Because it's a history, it's a history game. I'm not making, right. you know, it's not a what if game. And so, you know, we have a very good knowledge of what happened in the offensive on Kiev, right? We, we, we know where the units were, we, we, that history, you know, we don't have every single detail, but we got most of the details now of what happened. So this is a history game about something that happened earlier this year. That's and cool. the point, and, and it will be in the P500 for December. Wow. Yeah, the game's well along. Uh, you also have a nice article about it that uh, is going to appear in a future Conflicts right. of Interest magazine by S.D. Hiscon, right? Yeah, and I uh, and again, that article was 90% written by David, and then I did the, I I rewrote some pieces and, and you know things that I had been doing in the game that he hadn't caught in the article, so that's that's all what you've got there. And whenever you publish it, you publish it. There's no... Yeah. And then book. You, yeah. you're, you're writing a book. We've talked a little bit about this, but I'd like to hear where you are now. So, so here's what happened. Um, uh, I have a good friend named uh, Peter Perla, who's you know well known. You know, game yes. designer. You know, came out of the world. You know, good, really good friend of mine. And um, he said to me about about a year, maybe less than a year ago, he said to me, "You should write a book about game design." And I said, "You know, I've been thinking about it." He says, "And." You know, I told him how I put and he said, let me, let me set up a meeting with this guy I use in England. And I, I, I forget his name at the moment, but, you know, he publishes, you know, small, you know, low, low print run, you know, print on demand kind of books. Mm-hmm. And so I had a nice conversation with him. It was very informative. And, and what it is, is so I've been writing the my column for C3I for um, what do we have to 13. So I've been writing for more than a decade. I've been writing the column. And as it turns out, and all the, the columns, in a way, are pieces of a book, you know, like almost a chapter, not entirely, but, you know, I've been writing this for a while, and I've been slowly filling in all the pieces about game design through the column. And I had already, from the column alone, 60,000 words. Wow. That's how much it is. And when I told the publisher, this nice English uh, publisher guy, um, this, he said, oh, well, you've already got the book. I mean, that, he said, that's a full book, he said. I didn't know, you know, I didn't. I mean, I could have guessed that or I could have figured it out, but he said 60,000 words is a 300 page book, mm-hmm. you know, minus illustrations and all that. And so, uh, Roger, uh, you know, so Roger was helpful. I had, I didn't have all the files, but Roger, I got all the files. I got them into, you know, one big word file and I'm ordering, I ordered the, the, the thing, but of course, I'm not just republishing the articles, but I am now one third of the way rewriting all of it into one coherent narrative. You know what I'm so, and this narrative will not yet be like the book, but at least I, I my goal is to have a full first draft, you know, by the end of this year. You know, wow. like, you know. and then the question is, where does it go from there? And what I'll end up doing, of course, is I will, you know, I, I, you know, I, I work for, I work with Roger, uh, writing these articles and doing these games, but I've never taken a penny from him. But to his credit, he's always anytime I need. So I'm going to just turn to him at some point. And, he, and Roger, if you're listening to this, this is coming. This is an ask. <laughs> so Roger's going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to ask Roger to do the layout of the book and yeah. illustrate it and all that crap. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, why not? You know. Yeah, that's great. And. Uh, and that will be, and the title of the book is War Games According to Mark. That's the title of the book. It has nothing, it is very clearly, I'm not writing about game design. I'm not telling people how to design a game other than the way I do it. It's my method. I make no bones about it. And um, it's my view of the world. And I'm not trying to teach somebody else how to do it other than if they want to copy my or take anything out of it that they find useful. But I just wanted to, and I'm really writing the book for my grandchildren. Because you know, I got the I got a fourth one just showing up soon, and they're young, and 
I'm not. And so just in case somewhere along the way, I don't, you know, I, they get to college and I'm not around, right. you know, there'll at least be this thing that they could look at if they care to understand, you know, some of their grandfather. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, you know, I love it. I remember we, I had a professor named, uh, well, he was a friend, but he was a very well-known professor in the uh, in the ancient history department of Cornell. Um, his name was Al Bernstein, great guy from Brooklyn. And he is one of his lectures, he said, you know, he was talking about Thucydides, actually. He, he was an expert on Thucydides, but he was saying that he was telling you why Thucydides wrote, why he thought Thucydides wrote what he, you know, the, the amount of effort it took Thucydides in that period of time to, remember it's not a book it's all these scrolls and you know the it's all hand done right and and to make a copy somebody had to copy it you know there was no no xerox machines and and the and the and the uh, hides and whatever they put them on it's very expensive yeah so this is like a real you know so somebody to sit down and do what, and what he was saying is that you have to understand anybody who writes a book writes it for a reason there has to be a purpose to the book like in other words you're looking for fame or fortune or whatever the heck it is but you know so in my case i'm writing a book for my grandchildren you know that's, that's why i'm writing cool. a book so, and then people will go, Mark's an idiot. I love it. I hate it. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm writing for my grandchildren. So it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks. That's right. No. But I am doing it. That's pretty cool. You told a lot me of my before, focus these days. You told me before you're saving up all these podcasts and videos. Yeah, well, they're, they're linked on my webpage. And again, that's again for, uh, for them to someday, you know, hear me, hear what I sound like and how I talk and the stories I told. And, you know, it's just, you know, you don't live forever, but except through, you know, the next generation's remembering you. So, yeah. And, yeah. and, and through your games, Mark, this is a great place for us to, yeah. to tie it up. Um, thanks. I always appreciate you taking the time to talk about, uh, oh, yeah. about oh, everything. So sure. All right. Take care. You take care. <laughs>